Well, we're going to continue in our series uh, out of uh, mostly Genesis on the patriarchs, and I've asked JT to share with us today. Let's hear it. Thank you. <clears throat> hey, before I get started, I wanted to tell you guys about something. Um, our church is growing a lot, and um, probably the, the area or demographic that we're growing the fastest is, is the demographic known as uh, young families. Um, so what we're going to do, I know as being part of a young family, things can get really hectic. There's lots of, uh, you know, naps and soccer practices and lots of things. So it's hard for people to kind of get connected and, and come to church events and stuff. So what we're going to do is in a couple weeks on Memorial Day weekend, we're having a big cookout for young families. And it's going to be right behind the church. We're going to have food and some music playing and some fun stuff for kids to do. But I want to invite you, if, you're, if you consider yourself a young family, to, to come on out and join some of the, the other young families in the church. We're just going to have a good time. And I, I know it can kind of be weird uh, to kind of think, am I, am I a young family or am I not a young family? Let me give you a couple examples. If you are, say, you know, in your early 20s and you just got married... You're a young family. Come on out. Or let's say you are in your late 30s and you have some young kids. Come on out. You're a young family. Um, if you're a single mom, young family. So the, it's a big umbrella. They kind of say around the you know 35 and age range. But we're gonna we're gonna have a looser term. So if you consider yourself part of a young family, come on out. Join us. We're gonna have a good time. All right. Speaking of young family, I am part of a young family. Um, I am not a young family, but I am part of a young family. Uh, and, and really, the past five years of my life have been really intense. There's been a lot of crazy changes and just major life events that have happened. I, I got married to my wife, Laura, who is awesome. I really like her. Um, it's a good thing. Uh, but that's a, that's a major life event. Lots of changes happen when you get married. There's lots of good things, lots of hard things. But it's, it's been a really wonderful thing to get married. The other, the other thing that happened is we bought our first home, which was really exciting, but also very nerve-wracking when you see, like, oh, wow, we have to pay that amount of money in 30 years? That's crazy. But it, like, it's it, a major life event. Um, also, I started working up here, which has been an answer to, to so many prayers, and I love it up here. I love, I love being with all you guys. And, and uh, another thing, probably one of the craziest things is I had my daughter, Olive, who is really awesome. I really enjoy her. She's fun. Um, but just all of these really high, high points, like major life events that you look back and you remember. And in between that, you know, there's been lots of hard things that have happened, like sicknesses and, and broken foots and, and breaking down of appliances and, and cars breaking down. And it seems like there's months where like five things in your house break down and you think like, I don't know if I can pay for all this stuff. Or, but it's, it's just, you know, there's always, you know, kind of the hard things that go along with the good things. And, and if I'm being perfectly honest with you guys, just to, be, just to kind of be vulnerable, I would say that this past year of my life has been a difficult one. You know, there's been a lot of hard things that have happened. Um, there's been a number of deaths in my family and with close friends, and that's just been difficult. My... Um, my brother, who 
has been my best friend for my whole adult life. He, he, uh, he moved out of the country to be a missionary in Brazil, and that's a great, wonderful thing, but it's just been really hard on me to kind of lose my, 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 you know, everyday best friend. And, uh, you know, there's been lots of, lots of close friends of, of Laura and I who are going through just marital problems, and there's been divorces, and, and, and you know, even just a, yesterday, uh, a, a close friend of ours, they, they, they lost their, their newborn child, and just lots of just hard things happening in this past year. Um, and what I've noticed in my life is that this is just kind of the cycle of life, right? There's, there's these high points, and then there's these low points. It's like this roller coaster, and, and sometimes we feel like, you know, we're in the low points for, you know, way too long. And, and, and sometimes you feel like, wow, life is, is pretty good right now. We're, but, but there's always the ups and downs and ups and downs and ups and downs. And, and one thing that I've noticed is that it's in both of these times, the high points and the low points, that our faith can come, sometimes get shaky. That um, for one reason or another, that our, our faith begins to suffer a bit. And sometimes in the high points, it suffers kind of subconsciously. Like we just kind of forget about our faith. Like life is going so well that we forget about God. We start doing everything on our own power. And we say, I've got it from here. And we just, you know, go on with our life. And then in the, in the low points, sometimes we, you know, sometimes we got to the low points because of really bad decisions that we've made. And, and we feel like we got to dig ourselves out of it. Or we feel like, you know, God must be so mad at me, I, I, you know, or, or we feel like, you know, we've been just dealt a really hard hand, like we didn't do anything to get in this pit, we just somehow ended up in this, in this valley, and we just feel angry at God, or, or deserted, but I, I, it is, it is just, I've seen it over and over again, that both in the high points and the low points, it's really easy to have our faith suffer. And I want to address that today. I want to talk about that. We're going to be looking at a story like we talked about. We're going to be continuing our series on the patriarchs. The patriarchs are the fathers of our faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is the fathers of our faith, which is a great topic for Mother's Day. That's just a joke. No, but we're going to be continuing this series on, on, on the patriarchs. We're going to be looking at the high points and the low points. What is God doing during those times? Like, what, what's really happening behind the scenes? What is God doing when we're at our highs and our lows? So we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 14. If you need a Bible, we have some on the sound booth and here on the, on the sides of the stage. Before we jump in, let me just pray. Lord, we just thank you for today. Again, I just thank you for all, all the mothers here. And Lord, Lord, I also just, I know Mother's Day can be a hard day for, for a lot of people. And so I just pray that you draw close to those who are, who are struggling today on Mother's Day. And we just say, we are grieving with you guys. We just bless you today. And Lord, we just pray that you, you just bless, bless my words. Let me say the words that you've put on my heart, and nothing more and nothing less. Amen. So let me just recap real fast. If you remember, we started off the, the series by talking about Abram, who will later be known as Abraham, but he's still Abram at this point. Um, Remember, God comes to Abram and gives them this like huge revelation. He gives them this, this call and this promise that he's going to bless him, bless him and bless his family and bless his family's family and the, 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 the 
uh, make his descendants a great nation. And it's this beautiful call. And it's, you know, he tells him, though, to leave his country and to pick up everything and go. And it's this high point, right? It's this wonderful time. So, you know, Abram is celebrating. And Abraham's obedient. He's obedient in this. He does what the Lord has called him to do, which is, is, is wonderful. And then immediately after that, immediately after the high point, it says that there's a famine, a famine throughout the land. And so that him and his family, which is, is Lot, his nephew, and his wife Sarai, and the rest of, rest of the gang, a, a bunch of followers, they, they, they leave their, their land and they go to Egypt. And for some reason, which I, I, it doesn't quite make sense, and we won't go into it because I, my dad went into it last week, Abram decides that he's going to tell everyone in Egypt that his wife, Sarai, is actually his sister, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's, it's probably a horrible decision, but it en- ends up backfiring on him because the people in Egypt take Sarai to be their wife. And so we see this high point, this wonderful time in Abram's, Abram's life, followed by this low point of Egypt and, and his wife, and all this stuff is just, just horrible. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the first two stories that we see about Abram is this, the high and the low, the high and the low. Remember, you know, Abram must have been feeling like, everything's great. You know, I've got this call, these promises, this is wonderful. And then immediately it's like, oh no, this is not what this was supposed to be. Like it wasn't supposed to have famine and go to Egypt and have my wife taken by other people. High, low, high, low, like what we were talking about. And at this point, this is kind of where we've left off last week. But at this point, Abraham and his nephew Lot decide they're going to separate. And we don't know totally why. um, But Lot decides he's going to move to this area called Sodom. And if you know anything about Sodom, it's right next to the Dead Sea. And if you've read about the Dead Sea or if you've been over there or if you you can probably pick up by its name, it is dead. It's just totally desolate. There's not really any life there. Um, but at the time, it was a beautiful, just lush, lots of vegetation, just beautiful area. And we know this, that this is what the Bible tells us, but we also know it from geological digs and, and, and you know, people who can know that kind of stuff, they can tell us. But it was, it was this beautiful area that Lot goes. And meanwhile, as, as Lot, Abram's nephew, and Abram separate, a huge war breaks out. It's like a huge war that lasts years and years. Um, And there's these two alliances that are going at it. There's four kings on one side and five kings on the other. On this side is the king of Sodom and some other kings who who Lot, remember Lot is is with the king of Sodom. And on this side is a king named uh, Kedoliamar. And they're going at it. And it's this huge epic battle. And Kedoliamar, they end up winning and beating the king of Sodom where Lot is. And they take Lot and his family and everyone captive. They take them to be slaves and all their belongings. And so some guy escapes and comes back to Abram and tells Abram what's going on. Like, Abram, they've, 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 they've taken Lot as captive. So Abram does this totally awesome, epic thing where he gets 318 guys and they go attack this huge army in the middle of the night, and they win. Which is like, you know, 
the 300 or the Alamo or any of those things. But it's this awesome story about Abram wins this battle and frees all these people. He rescues Lot and the rest of the people. So that's where we are. That's where we're going to pick up um, in chapter 14. And be looking at a story that seems like we should just skip over. There's not a whole lot of action or anything super exciting um, to the naked eye in the story. But I think it would be a mistake to skip over it. So let's, let's start reading in verse 17. It says, After Abram returned from defeating Kedolimar and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shava, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Let's stop there. So it doesn't seem like, I mean, we just got through a huge, you know, war. Why are we looking at this seemingly insignificant thing? Let me tell you, this is, this is the only story that we have of this guy Melchizedek. This is the only story that we see Melchizedek in the entire Bible. And it seems like all he does is he comes and brings Abram food, and then he blesses him, and then Abram gives him a tenth of all his belongings, and then they part ways. So this is the only story. Why is it so significant? Melchizedek is actually mentioned a few times later in the Bible. Like in the Psalms, they mention him, and they say he's very important. And then later in this book called Hebrews, which is in the New Testament, there's a whole chunk about him that basically lays out that this guy is super important, and this interaction is very, very important. So I think it's important for us to, 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 to ask, who is Melchizedek? Why is he so important? Why is he so important? Who is Melchizedek? So let me just say this. this. This subject of who Melchizedek is is very highly debated. There's a couple different viewpoints um, that, that people kind of land in about who this guy is. And I think they're both kind of valid. They both have good points. And if you're looking for an answer today, I'm not going to give it to you. I'll give you the two different viewpoints. But unfortunately, I, I don't think we can ever truly know who he is until, until we meet with Jesus. Um, the first kind of thing that we'll see, let's, let's just look and see what we can know about Melchizedek just by reading this text. The first thing that we see is, is Mel, Melchizedek is king. He's the king of Salem, right? The king of Salem uh, literally means the king of peace. Salem will later be uh, Israel, but the king of Salem literally translates the king of peace. And the name Melchizedek translates Melech, which means king, and Zedek means righteousness. So his title is the king of peace, but his name is the king of righteousness. So store that away. I know for some of us that's ringing some bells already, but store that away. Remember that. He's the king of peace. He's the king of righteousness. The next thing we see about Melchizedek is that he's a priest, which this is very odd and very important. Um, and it's very odd for a number of reasons. Um, the first thing that's odd about it is it says he's the priest of the God Most High. Remember, this whole area that they're in is completely polytheistic, which means there are many, many gods. And, and you know, 
they're, to be monotheistic is weird. And it says he is the God of the one true God, the God most high, the creator of heaven and earth. And the Jewish religion, this is, it's just getting started. It's just getting started, so they don't have, you know, official priests yet. In fact, you know, the Jewish custom said you have to come from the line of Aaron to be a priest. And we know for a fact, we know for a fact that Melchizedek does not come from the line of Aaron. You know how we know that? Yeah, <laughs> he's not born yet. Aaron is Abram's great, 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 great grandson. That's sixth grade, so he's not coming for a long time. And, and, and in fact, there's no family record for Melchizedek. For Melchizedek. Some people uh, speculate, and some people have some thoughts of who he might come from, but it's all speculation. We don't really know. So let's take it a little further. In Jewish law... You are not allowed to be king and priest. He's a king and a priest. Jewish law forbids it. They say that's too much power. You can't be both king and priest. There's only one other person in the entire Bible who's referred to as king and priest. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But store that away. There's only one other person who's king and priest. So here's the two options of who this guy Melchizedek can be based off of what we know. The first thing that we know, or the first option, the first opinion about who Melchizedek is, is that he is what's known as a type or or a shadow of Christ. Here's what I mean by that. Um, If you look throughout the Old Testament, there there are many people and tons of people who are pictures of Jesus. They aren't Jesus, but they're a picture of what Jesus came to do or, or who he is or his characteristics. It's, it's like foreshadowing. They're just hinting at, at, at Jesus. Like we look at like a story of Joseph. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, right? He was betrayed by his brothers, and he was punished for their sins. And he was thrown into this well, but he rises up, and he forgives his brothers, And he actually, he blesses his brothers. So that's a picture of Jesus, right? Or we look at Moses. Moses led his people out of slavery, out of bondage, and into freedom, into the promised land. That's a picture of what Jesus was ultimately going to come do. So that's what a type is. They're hinting at Jesus. And and honestly, these are all over the Old Testament. One, One thing that really... Um, brought the Old Testament to life for me was realizing this. Realizing that it's, it's all pointing back to Jesus. Like you can read it at face value and you can get like pr- good moral stories and you, it's great to do that. But you also can read it deeper and be like, oh, this is really about Jesus. And so that's, that's really exciting when you, when you start doing that. And in Psalm 110, remember when I said that... Um, it's re- it refers to Melchizedek later. This is a, a verse that's talking about Jesus. It's talking about the coming Messiah. Um, and it says this. It says, you are priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This is talking about Jesus. So he's saying Jesus and Melchizedek have the same order, the same purpose, the same, the same reason for coming. They're saying Melchizedek is, like a, is pointing towards Jesus. So, so, so here's how Melchizedek could be a type or a, or, a, or a shadow of Jesus. 
Remember how I said Melchizedek's titles were the king of peace and the king of righteousness. Those are titles for Jesus. Jesus is known as, our, as, as the king of peace and the king of righteousness. And remember when I said there was only one other person in the Bible who's known as king and priest? That's Jesus. Jesus is our great king. And he's our great priest. He's the only other person besides Melchizedek who's known as king and priest. And remember in the story, Melchizedek comes with the bread and the wine. That's, that's a picture of what we did. Communion. That's a picture of Jesus. And if you read through Hebrews, you can, uh, Hebrews 7, you can write that down. Hebrews 7 goes through this, base, this thing and, and, and lays it out perfectly how Melchizedek and Jesus are similar. And I can't get into the whole thing, but it, it's really fascinating. And it goes way deeper in more and more and more ways. But so the, the first option is, is, is Melchizedek is foreshadowing Jesus. He's a type of Christ. But the second option says he's not a type of Christ. He is Christ. He is Jesus coming to meet with Abram. So some people believe that this is what's known as a theophany or a Christophany. That's, that, that's basically when Jesus would come uh, as a pre-incarnation. Before he came to earth, he would come and meet with people. You know, some, some, some opinions are when Adam was walking in the garden with God. Some people believe that that was Jesus walking with Adam. There's a story of Joshua meeting with the commander of God's army. Some people believe that that was Jesus, and they're all throughout the Old Testament. But some people believe that Melchizedek was actually Jesus coming to bless Abram. And it's, this is really fun to discuss and debate and, and to study and to find out like, you know, what you believe. But ultimately, I don't think it matters that much. Because either way, the point of this story is Jesus. Either he was Jesus or he was pointing towards Jesus. But either way, it's, it's, it should point us to Jesus, right? So in the context of the story, what does that mean? What does it mean for Abram? What, is, what does Melchizedek mean to Abram? Well, remember, Abram, like we were saying, was up and down. Like He had these amazing points where God gives him this promise, and he's like, this is what it's all about. You know, this is good. And he could so, or he had this victory against these kings, and he could easily just forget about God and just say, I'm awesome. I can do this on my own. Or, or, and he had these awful low points where his wife is being taken by other people, and there's famine, and he's leaving his, his friends and family, and he thinks, God, this is not what we talked about. This is not what we signed up for. So he's having these ups and downs and ups and downs. And this story with Melchizedek is God's way of going to Abram and saying, I am always with you. My promises for you are for all time. They're not conditional. No matter what, no matter if you're high or low, my promises to you, Abram, are for all time. You know, don't, don't forget about me in the high points. Don't push me away in the low points because I am always with you. And you'll constantly see this through Abram's life. Just kind of a spoiler alert, he has a lot of highs and a lot of lows. Just kind of like all of us. But, but God regularly pursues him in both his highs and his lows. God never abandons him. And I think, I think Abram recognizes this in this story. His response to Melchizedek was really cool. 
See, see, Abram was a man of authority. He was, like I said, coming off of this high point. He was getting lots of praise. He was, he was a ruler of a lot of people. He had the promise of God. He was a very respected man by many. And here comes this guy, Melchizedek, and, and, and Abram recognizes his authority. Here's how we know he recognizes his authority. It's because he accepts the blessing of Melchizedek. And in that culture, you don't accept a blessing of someone who's not your superior. That was a very, very strict thing in that culture. Like a slave could never bless a master. A child could never bless an adult. You had to be the authority to bless someone. It says this in Hebrews 7, 7, referring back to this story. It says, without a doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. The lesser Abram was blessed by the greater Melchizedek. Abram received the blessing of Melchizedek, which is a way of saying, you know, I, I'm in submission to you. I respect your authority. Because he knew that Melchizedek was, was, was from God. And he knew this was God's way of saying, hey, I'm, I'm here for you, Abram. And it even says he, he tithes to Melchizedek. He gives him a tenth of all that he has. It was a way for him to say, say that again. I respect you. I honor you. I'm indebted to you. And if you read further in the story, you see another king, the king of Sodom, wants to give him a bunch of stuff. But Abram says, no, I'm not going to take it. Because he didn't respect his authority. He respected Melchizedek's authority. Melchizedek came to Abram to, to basically, his role in Abram's life was to bridge this gap between him and God. Was to kind of be an interceder between God and Abram. This is the role of the priest. Essentially, Melchizedek was being a priest for Abram. And we don't understand the role of priest very well in our culture anymore. But essentially, this was the priest's number one job was to intercede between God and man. This was the number one job of the priest. Because remember, God is holy. God is righteous. He's without sin, and he loves us. But we are sinful. We've, ch we've chosen to be disobedient. We've walked away, and, and, a, and a divide happened when that, when, when, when that occurred between God and man. The sin in our life separated us from God. And so we needed something to bridge the gap. And that's where priests come along. The priest's job was to bridge that gap, to intercede between God and, and man. You remember, uh, they would do these sacrifices. They would sacrifice an animal to, 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 to bridge that gap, to, to pay for the sins. And remember, you know, many of us know that, you know, once a year, the great priest, the high priest, would stand in the Holy of Holies, which is where God's presence was, and he would stand in the presence of God and represent all of, of man. And he, he would have to do all of these things right. He'd have to do the right sacrifice because there had been a gap between God and man. And so the priest's job was to, to, to bridge that gap because God loves us, and he wanted there to be a bridge. So this is what Melchizedek was doing for Abram. He was blessing Abram on behalf of God. He was bridging that gap. And he was also uh, blessing God on behalf of Abram. That was the other thing that priests did. Is they would stand before God on behalf of man. And they would stand before man on behalf of God. And say, God loves you. God blesses you. 
God's here for you. And we'll see that God did this for Abram over and over again. You know, throughout the story, the story of the patriarchs, throughout the story of Abram, Abram does some really cool things. He makes some really good choices, and you say, like, go, Abram. Go, Abraham. You're awesome. And then, you know, the very next story, you're like, oh, boy, why did you do that? That was horrible. And he's constantly up and down, up and down, and God is constantly pursuing him and saying, it's okay. My promise that I made to you is for all time. I'm still here for you. I'm not going to leave you. And so what does that mean for us? That's a cool story for Abram that God sent this guy Melchizedek to show him that he's still here for him and to bridge that gap. But what does that mean for us? What does Melchizedek mean for us? Well, here's what I think. I think what God did for Abram, God wants to do for us. God wants to show us that, you know, in our high points, that he loves us, he's here for us, don't forget about him. And in our low points, he didn't abandon us. He's still for you. He's still with you. I love in Deuteronomy 31.8, it says this, it says, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. I love how it says he goes before us, but he also goes with us. I think that's beautiful. Just let that ruminate for a second. He goes before us. He's also with us. It's beautiful. He will never abandon you. He will never forsake you. He wants you to know that when everything is going right, he is celebrating with you. He's excited with you. And when when things are falling apart, he's mourning with you. Or when you are in the deepest place of sin, you've completely just, you know, made the biggest mistake. You know, you are doing the thing that you just think is vile and filthy. God is still for you. God still loves you. You know, I often have this picture of God, and I've shared this before, that when I'm doing well, God is like facing me, and he loves me. And then he's somehow in this, like, you know, cosmic swivel chair. But when I, when I mess up, he turns away. You know, and he, but that's not what it is. It's not, he's always facing you. You know, when, you, when you're blowing it big time, when you're being a jerk to your family, when you're, when, you're, when you're doing whatever, he is for you. He loves you. He cares for you. He will never forsake you. And here's where I'll tip my hand on and who I think Melchizedek is. And remember, I don't think it matters a whole lot. But here's who I think he was. Honestly, I think Melchizedek was, was just a guy. I think Melchizedek was, was, a, was a picture of Jesus. I, th- I, I, I think he's just a, a normal guy. I call him Mel. It's good old Mel. And he, Mel and Abe having lunch together. No, but I think he's just a guy. Because remember, he, Melchizedek came to intercede for Abram, for God. He was bridging that gap between Abra, Abram and God. And, and remember what the priest, that was the priest's role. A priest came to intercede between God and man. And do you ever wonder why here at VCDC we don't have priests? It's not because we don't like those collars. We think they're cool. 
The, the, the reason that we don't have priests here is because we don't need priests anymore. We don't need a priest. We don't need someone to intercede on our behalf. Do you know why? Because what Jesus did on the cross, what Jesus accomplished on the cross, interceded for us for all time. It removed the separation that we had. Do you remember the story? When Jesus died on the cross, what happened? The curtain tore from top to bottom. The curtain that separated the presence of God from his people tore. Symbolically saying that there is nothing that separates us anymore. We have a direct line to God. We don't need a Melchizedek. We don't need a priest to come and intercede for us to bridge that gap. We have a direct line. God is here. God is for you. God is with you. So essentially what Melchizedek did for Abram, which was awesome, what he did for Abram one time, Jesus did for us for all time. Jesus is the true and better priest. Jesus is the true and better Melchizedek. I love what uh, this guy Hervius says. He's a 12th century author who's really smart. But he says, if Melchizedek, he, he would agree with me that he thinks Melchizedek was, was just a sign or a, a type. He says, if Melchizedek was a sign and a shadow is preferred to Abram, how much more Christ, who is the truth and the substance. If a type of Christ is greater than he who has the promises, Abram, how much more so is Christ himself? If, if, a, if just this guy Melchizedek was so much greater than Abram, who has the promise of the blessing and all of these wonderful things, how much greater is Jesus? How much greater than can, what Jesus can do for us? He did what Melchizedek could never do. He did what no priest could ever do. And God wants you to know today that there is nothing that can separate you from, from his love. There is nothing that can separate you from his love. Nothing. The Bible says that over and over. Not heights, nor depths, angels, demons, nothing that you can do, nothing that someone can do against you, nothing. Once you accept his, his forgiveness, once you accept what he did for you on the cross, there's nothing that can separate you. I love what it says in, in Hebrews. You know, a, a couple chapters later, after it finishes talking about Melchizedek, it kind of refers back to it in Hebrews 10, and it says, We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Day after day, priests stand before their religious and, and perform their religious duties. Again and again, they offer the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But this priest, Jesus, offered for all time one sacrifice for sins. For by one sacrifice, he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That's us. And it says that God says, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. No more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. We don't need a priest anymore because Jesus is our great priest and he bridged the gap. Amen. How wonderful is that? Yeah. Isn't that great? God is for you. God is with you. But here's what I want to be careful of. When we talk about this, when we say that God is always with you and God is for you, sometimes we can take it to mean that God's never going to let bad things happen to me. 
And that's just not true. Sometimes we hear this message in Christianity, or we, we present this message about Christianity to non-Christians, and we say, hey, if you become a Christian, your life just gets better. And if, if, you, if, you, you know, if you're struggling, just become a Christian, and everything gets better. <laughs> I know, it's, it's, it's not true. I understand what, what, what people are implying by that, but sometimes I think it does more damage than good. Because in fact, all throughout the Bible, God promises us suffering. He says, in this world, you will have trials, you will have tribulations, you will have hardships. You're going to have valleys. You're going to have death, you're going to have depression, you're going to have you know, hard, hard things. It's a promise. And you know that actually sometimes... Jesus said this. This isn't my thought. Jesus said that if, if we follow him, sometimes our life gets harder. It can actually get harder. It's a hard pill to swallow. How do we sell that? Come follow Jesus. It gets harder. <laughs> but I know sometimes, you know, I, I'll pursue God because of what he can do for me a lot of times. Like, I'll, go, I'll come to Jesus for, for the things that he does for me, and oftentimes I forget to come to him because... Because I love him. Jesus is calling us into a relationship with him. And not just the things he does for us. I mean, there's nothing wrong. In fact, it's completely appropriate that we, when we're in you know, our depths, when we're, when we're in the, just the, the, the swamps of our life, to reach out our hand and say, God, save me. Come, Jesus. That's totally appropriate. But I think sometimes that, that just becomes it. That becomes the focus of our relationship with him is, is just what he can do for us. And we make our, our relationship with God, we make Christianity into this kind of equation. Like, I will go to church, I will read my Bible, I will say these prayers if you save me, if you make my life better. But once it, it stops happening, I don't know. But I want to pursue Jesus because he's good and he loves me. You know, there's a story in the Bible where Jesus is talking with his followers, and he's kind of saying the same thing about, hey, guys, if you want to follow me, it's going to get hard. It's going to get hard. And, um, you know, a bunch of the, his followers start leaving, and they just start thinking, well, no, I thought this was, you know, if we follow you, things were going to get better. And they start taking off. Like, by the droves, they all start leaving. And Jesus looks to Peter He's one of his best friends. And I, it doesn't say this, but I, I, I tend to think that he was, he was feeling discouraged. He was feeling hurt or insecure. And he looks to Peter, who's one of his best friends, and he says, are you going to leave too? Are you going to leave too? And Peter replied, he said, Lord, where else do we have to go? You have the words of eternal life. And I think Peter was right on. He doesn't say, where else would we go? You're the one who's going to fix our problems. He says, where else would we go? Your words have life in them. And that's what it's all about. Jesus is life. That we're going to have valleys. We're going to have peaks. 
but we can have the words of Jesus. We can have Jesus himself because of what he did on the cross. And I think, I think Abram was, understood this in this story. Abram, Abram understood. He would wander. He would get in these situations where he would think, this, this is, does not make sense. This is not going to work out. I'm going to do it this way. And he would blow it. But he would always come back. He always came back. And you know why? Because he knew that there was life in the words of God. He was saying, I know what this world has to offer. You know, I, I can relate to that. I know what this world has to offer. I've tasted of the fruits of this world. What, this, what the world says, this is going to make you happy. This is what's going to give you significance. This is going to dull the pain. This is you know, fill in the blank. I've tasted of those things, and they do not bring life. They may bring some kind of, in the moment, some like you forget what's going on. But the only thing that I found that brings true life is Jesus. In the midst of our, of our suffering, in the midst of, of, of loss and of, of, of struggle, we can find life in the words of Jesus, in, in the person of Jesus. And one day, one day, everything is going to be made right. One day, the, all, all the tears are going to be wiped from our eyes. But, but this day, we, we have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We have to walk through suffering. You know, and, and I don't always know why. I, I don't want to stand up here and act like I have the answers for it, because I don't. You know, I know sometimes walking through hard things can, can bring about character and can, you know, make us stronger people. But sometimes, you know, with my friends who just lost their child, I don't know why that happened. I don't know why. It's hard. But what I do know is that we have a God that walks with us in our suffering, that never abandons us in our suffering, that speaks life to us in our suffering. And here's what's even, even better, for me at least, is that we have a God who understands our suffering. He understands our suffering more so than we can understand our suffering. He's experienced suffering that we have never experienced. He was, he was beaten, he was ridiculed, he was abandoned, he was spit upon, he was phys physically tortured. And he's not, you know, he doesn't understand our suffering and say, get over it. I know what you're going through. Get over it. He, 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 he weeps with you. He says, I understand how you feel. Jesus wept in his suffering. And he weeps in your suffering. He is with you today. You know, I, I want to end by telling you guys this. My, my sister is going through probably the hardest time in her life. She's going through suffering. She's, go, she's going through a valley in her life right now. And just her, her character through it is so just inspiring to me. She's just been such a picture of what it means to be, you know, someone who has their eyes directly on Christ through suffering. And she wrote this thing that I just want to share with you guys. She's, she said this, she says, I have learned through a life filled with difficulty, and every life is, 
that my suffering can lead me to emptiness and bitterness, or it can lead me to know God. The Christian life has backed me into a corner of asking myself, do I want comfort or do I want God? I cannot offer a simple equation Christianity any longer. I cannot act as a defense attorney for God, justifying him to the world so they might follow him. Now I simply bear my face in his chest and hold on to him with all my might because he is my only hope. If I offer Christianity to the world, it's by taking the hand of those in pain and leading them to the one who has the words of eternal life. And when I allow him to be my hope in the midst of my pain, I find life. Christianity is not a guarantee that life will be easy or comfortable or even happy. Christianity is a condition of the heart that says, I have an answer to this pain and it is a person, not an equation. And in that person is life and love and beauty and truth and his arms are open wide to all of us. That's it. So here's what I want to do. Why don't we stand? We don't have a lot of time. But I, I just, first of all, I, I really believe that God wants you to know if you have never accepted what he did on the cross, he wants to, I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. If you want to have that relationship with Jesus, I want you guys to say this prayer with me. Why don't we bow our heads really fast? Jesus, I know that I've blown it. I know that I'm sinful. I know that I, I've, 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 I've gone my own way, Lord, and I, and, and I want your forgiveness. I want what you did on the cross. I accept it. And I want a relationship with you. I just give my life to you, Jesus. If you said that prayer with me this morning, can you raise your hand? Bless you guys, bless you. Just keep them raised for a second. Okay, okay, I see you guys. All right, why don't we put our heads up? As we end, Bonnie had, had a word that I think really applies. We don't have a ton of time to, to do ministry, but I, I want to do a few minutes at least. This is the day in which the God of comfort is calling us to himself. And all of us who are weary, we're weary in well-doing, we're weary and we carry burdens that are too hard to bear. All through worship, he, I kept seeing this wonderful, beautiful picture of the Lord coming alongside each, like in the rows and, and wrapping us in a down comforter blanket. And you know, just like a good friend or mother and father just hugging us. We didn't even have to use words because he already knows us, because he's closer than our own breath. And I feel like today too, for those of you who are sad because your mothers are dead, for those of you who are sad because you had bad mothers or bad fathers even, God is our mother, he is our father, he is our friend, he is our sister, he is our brother. And this is the day in which the God of comfort and peace wants to show us in a tangible way what that feels like, what that smells like, what that really is. And oftentimes even when we come forward and we receive prayer, it's, an, it's like a prophetic act of, I believe. Uncle, I give up. Okay, Lord, have your way. 
He's breathing on this message. He's breathing on this group right now, in this moment in time. Nothing's more important than a relationship mm -hmm. with Jesus. Mm -hmm. He is the lover of our soul, and he wants intimacy today. And maybe even through worship and maybe even through JT's sermon, you're like, well, there's a little bit of a disconnect because I don't feel that close to him. I, I don't know that intimacy that he speaks of. If that pertains to you, he wants to have an encounter with you yeah. so that you do. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. So here, here's how I want to end. We're going to sing a song together. And, and instead of, of coming up, I, want, I, I feel like we could all relate to this. We can all say that we are up and down and up and down. Let's invite the presence of God to, to come and, and just and, and, and be with us. And so what Bonnie said, if you, if you are struggling, God wants to comfort you. If you are, if you are going through the, a good time, God wants to celebrate with you. So let's open up our hands, sing this song, and just receive from the Lord. No place I would rather be, no place I would rather be, than here in your love, here in your love. So set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. So set a fire down in my soul. need more of you, Jesus. Lord, we just thank you for always, always being near, always drawing near to us, always, 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 always uh, just going after us when we are running away. Lord, we just pray that through, through our, you know, roller coaster life that we can focus our eyes on you. Focus on your goodness, on your love, and just rest assured and be confident that you will never abandon us, never forsake us. Lord, I pray that that knowledge that many of us have in our, in our brains that you are always for us, can you know, make that drop into our hearts, that we can just know it with our being, that you are for us. We just love you, Jesus. Praise you. Amen. Hey, as you guys are leaving, I just, just a few things. I just want to encourage you, if you haven't been baptized, this is a great first step in your faith. And if, if you've been a Christian for years and you haven't been baptized, I feel like God is saying it's time. So we have our baptism meeting in the nursery. Stop by. It's going to be about 10 minutes. Pick up some of the bottles to, to help uh, the pregnancy center and... and uh, Bless you guys. Have, have a wonderful week.